0: Our scripture lesson today comes from the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my to my path. Please pray with me. Holy and loving and gracious God, we inch forward eagerly hoping to hear a word for our lives today. Give us grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed. Courage to change the things which can be changed. And the wisdom, your holy wisdom, to distinguish the one from the other. Amen. Word is spreading. Eyewitnesses report back to the high priests that this Jesus guy has really outdone himself this time. He isn't just curing a leper here and there. He brought his friend Lazarus back to life. We've got to put a stop to this, the religious leaders say. People will believe in him, and the Romans will come to destroy our holy place. We'll have to raise the terror alert to orange, maybe even red. So, the text says, from that day on, they plan to put him to death. Right in the middle of all this anxiety, or perhaps in spite of it, Martha, the hard-working hostess, her brother Lazarus, fresh out of the tomb, and her sister Mary, the eccentric one, throw a dinner party. And who can blame them? For heaven's sake, Lazarus wasn't metaphorically dead. He, was, he wasn't kind of, sort of dead. He was dead dead. Dead long enough to cause a stench in the air, but not long enough for the family to to disperse. That funeral food was repurposed for a celebration instead of sitting shiva. So imagine with me the scene. The house is packed with family and friends. There's laughter and talking and children running and playing around the tables. There are smells of wine and freshly baked bread and fine food. Martha is in her happy place, orchestrating the servants as every course comes out with a paired wine that wows the guests. Lazarus is there at the head of the table with Jesus, and every once in a while people will come by and thank Jesus for restoring their loved one back to life. In the in-between moments, Lazarus whispers to his friends about what it was like to die. And Jesus is listening intently as someone who will soon be laid in a tomb himself. No one sees Mary as she sneaks away from the table. She heads to the storeroom, the one with the lock. And she looks at that last jar of expensive nard. Mary and Martha know too much about anointing and nard and death they prepared the bodies of so many in their community and just four days ago they anointed their own brother Lazarus the nard was bought for him but now she wonders if that's really true she thinks about Jesus he is on the most wanted list He risked his life to come back so that that he could grieve with her family. And then he brought life out of death. What wonderful thing can she do? What can she do that would express her gratitude and love and joy? What could she say, not with her words, but with her whole being? Mary looks again at that nard and takes the best that she can give. And she returns to the table With the costly perfume. Mary unbinds her hair, loosens it as women only did for their husbands or when they were in mourning. She pours the expensive balm on the feet of Jesus as one who would anoint a corpse, not a king, for a king would be anointed on the head. And then Mary touches Jesus tenderly, even though she is a single woman, again not appropriate, and then she wipes his feet with her hair. I can imagine the screeching halt this little act brings to a dinner party. What a strange girl people are saying about her as they try not to stare. She tends to do things that are not proper in front of company. She tends to do things that aren't culturally appropriate for women. Women who are supposed to be thin and silent and modest. But you cannot pretend not to notice Mary when that fragrance starts to fill the entire room. Mary has the nerve, the audacity to be authentic. And she does it in public. Turns out authenticity is embarrassing. It's uncomfortable to watch Someone needs to stop her. Someone needs to put her in her place. And that someone is Judas. I was thinking this week that it's too bad that Judas isn't alive today. He is perfect for the age of Twitter. (laughs) His tweet that night might have read, Mary is anointing Jesus with Chanel Number 5. Meanwhile, the children go hungry in Bethany. Judas proves to the world how woke he really is in less than 140 characters. But let's be honest, in all of our commitments to the poor, we are right there with him. Hey, what 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 are we about anyway as a church? Where's our mission? Didn't Jesus always express his concern for the poor? Why are we wasting expensive perfume instead of selling it and buying, say, I don't know, food for the hungry? It's tempting to side with Judas here. But John in this gospel whispers in our ear that things aren't as they seem. In contrast to the expensive perfume, cruelty is cheap, not to mention cowardly. In our day of social media and headline news, it's easy to call someone out and criticize them, especially when they have taken a risk to put themselves out there. Lavish love is vulnerable. And when vulnerability is exposed, the sharks smell blood and hop on Facebook. But no one ever looks good trying to make others look bad. Comparison, criticism, and competition, they all expose the ego spoken in self righteous finger pointing. With social media nowadays, everyone is an expert on all things, everyone's a critic. And some days it wears us down. On Friday morning in our Bible study, we talked about how much easier it is to believe what our critics have to say about us than about those who compliment us. Somehow we believe that people that give us compliments aren't to be trusted because clearly they aren't discerning. But the Judases of the world, the Judases of the world, they have us figured out. They've seen our character defects. They expose imposters. Even if the criticism has just a teaspoon of truth to it, we give it all our focus, which oftentimes enlarges it. But things aren't as they seem. In Brené Brown's The Gifts of Imperfections, Brown reminds us how often we sell ourselves out to fit in and be acceptable. But sacrificing who we truly are for the sake of what others think is just not worth it. Yes, authenticity isn't safe, but there are more dangerous risks to not being who God made us to be. Becoming our authentic selves means that we are right sized. It means that we right size our flaws, our mistakes, our past, and yes, we right size our gifts, our successes, and our accomplishments too. We recognize that we are on equal footing with the rest of humanity. We do our best, yes, to grapple with our blind spots to grow, while at the same time giving ourselves grace. Brené Brown reminds us to keep the focus on ourselves by saying to us, don't shrink, don't puff up, stand on your sacred ground. What I've realized about today's story is that both Judas and Mary live within each one of us. Inside of us, we have this childlike, awkward, misfit like Mary that represents who we truly are. Our inner Mary is created to express pure joy and gratitude and love for God, and she's not apologizing for it. But there is also the inner critic of Judas, who out of anxiety and desperation for worth condemns every act that will make us vulnerable. Our inner Judas reveals our ego, our false self, the part of us that wants to be cool and popular and accepted. Inner Judas calls out inner Mary by tapping into our worst insecurities. Our inner Judas tweets stuff like, "Huh, Pastor Heather calls herself an anti-racist. But what has she done lately? Who does Pastor Blondie think she really is? There's a third voice. A third voice, unlike our own, that we must cultivate and choose daily. This voice intervenes and says, leave her alone. Leave her alone, it gently nudges. Jesus is reminding us to let ourselves off the hook, to stop holding ourselves to impossible standards, to leave ourselves alone. That holy voice of Jesus tells us that we will always have the poor, especially if we are using them like objects to gain accolades and attention. And we won't always have Jesus, especially if we can't learn how to receive love. Receiving love every once in a while. By receiving Mary's loving act, Jesus is actually modeling vulnerability and authenticity. He is teaching us how to receive that awkward, uncomfortable love that feels like too much. Watch me, he says. This is how you do it. Jesus seems to be the only one that can receive that much love, whether it comes from Mary or from God, he recognizes the self-abandoning that has to happen to lavishly love another human. of Bethany lives what Brené Brown describes as a wholehearted life. She is full of trust, gratitude, inspiration and faith. It's what Brené Brown calls TGIF, trust. Gratitude, inspiration, and faith. Even in the faces of Judas's self-righteous, hypocritical ob- objections, Mary seems to have zero shame. Barbara Brown Taylor says that Mary is prophetically witnessing to the lavishness of God's love, something that Mary had experienced in Jesus himself, and we can too today. So there he is. Jesus, on the edge of Jerusalem now. He is waiting to enter the holy city as the king of peace. Meanwhile, on the other side of Jerusalem, Pontius Pilate and other petty rulers are preparing to enter it in military pomp and power. But first, Jesus savors this time with his friends. They are doing all that they can to love him. They know the time is short and the hour is at hand. And even though they don't fully understand him, they know that they will lose the one that they love. And even then, things won't be as they seem. Amen.